One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the home of common sense. It is, of course, talk radio. The world is once more becoming more and more perplexing with each and every edict and regulation that seem to be being issued almost by the hour and then changed again. Today, we're expecting more announcements out of America from the office of the president. Yep, it could be that Joe Biden is going to set quarantines on all visitors as of next week. We're not sure if that's what he's going to do, but there's likely to be some kind of change uh, if you are planning to go to the US of A uh, or maybe people are coming from there to here. Uh, the Tories mean while uh, are telling us not to kiss anyone under the mistletoe, as if that's still a thing. I mean, I don't think anybody's done that for quite a few years, except for, of course, at Tory party Christmas uh, parties, uh, like the ones that Boris has in Downing Street where nobody else can have one. Uh, And, of course, Christmas parties are now being cancelled right, left and centre, even though they keep telling us we don't have to do that. It's a very mixed picture. Nobody seems to know what to do. Nobody knows what's going on. We're waiting for the next shoe to drop. And it could be good. It could be bad. It could be indifferent. We just don't know. And just for good measure, the French are revolting again. President Emmanuel Macron uh, has called Boris Johnson un clown. Not quite in those words. I'm using sort of Franglish there because uh, a knucklehead, which is a particularly American phrase that I didn't know the French were particularly good at using. But anyway, it won't come as much of a surprise to Boris Johnson that Macron doesn't like him, I shouldn't think. We'll test the frosty diplomatic waters this morning with John Rensel, chief political commentator at The Independent. And we'll be checking out just how bad the power cuts are in the north of England and Scotland. There's more than 30,000 people, apparently, are still waiting uh, to have their power restored uh, after Storm Arwen at the weekend. Now, I know that these things can be different difficult to do. I know that these things can be sometimes uh, rather more complicated than they seem. However, six nights without power seems an awful lot. Some people were being told yesterday, well, we might be able to get you back into uh, the grid by about Christmas, which is, I'm sorry, just not good enough. So we're going to try and find out what's going on, why it is quite as bad as it it seems to be. Helen Dale's here as well with her take on the big stories of the week. Plus, what's going on in Europe, where Ursula von der Leyen is is now going out to call for the possibility of compulsory vaccinations in the EU. She says 150 million people in the European Union are not vaccinated, and apparently that's a lot of people. Really? According to her. We've also got Angela Levin on standby because we're expecting a ruling on the case between Meghan Markle and Associated Newspapers at some point today. And because it's Thursday, it's time for Helena Nicklin and the Thursday Club. She's going to come in with some rather nice Bordeaux, apparently, today. 0344-499-1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, it's not something I say very often, but uh, a very warm welcome to, to John Rensel. Not that, it's not that bit, uh, but it's the next bit, which, <laughs> I was is, say, which I do say a very warm welcome, welcome to, to John Rensel, and I do mean that. Uh, what I was about to say is I don't know where to begin, because there's an awful lot to be going after today, you know, with Macron's uh, well, clown comment, uh, with Boris Johnson's Christmas party, uh, with Keir Starmer's performance yesterday, which indeed. was rather good, I thought, um, and and also now this whole idea of the EU possibly uh, bringing in more vaccinations and Christmas just being in limbo. Well, let's start. We don't with, know. Let's start with Emmanuel Macron. Let's do it. I, th- I thought I thought that was extraordinary that he used Franglais to criticise 
um, Boris Johnson, who had used Franglais yes. on him. But Boris right. Johnson told him to prone un grip. That's right. And then <laughs> Emmanuel Macron called him un clown. <laughs> uh, and, and what was the other one? Knuckle. A knucklehead, which knucklehead. is a very much an American word. Because I, I only came across it when I lived in America. People used to call you know other people's kids the knucklehead. You know, it's yeah, not absolutely. a particularly terrible insult, but it's kind of... Well, it's not French. It's, it's certainly not French. And you know how they hate <laughs> the Americans. I mean, they hate anything American. Well, exactly. Perhaps I think it's particularly insulting to use Franglais yes. to criticise the, the the British. It's I don't know, but anyway, relations are relations are shockingly poor, uh, and that is extremely unhelpful mm. and not not in anybody's interest, and not in Boris Johnson's interest. I mean, you might think Boris Johnson could get a few you know a few plaudits uh, from the knuckleheaded yeah. section of the electorate by uh, by going to go to war with France. No, but actually, uh, the the problem of the small boats crossing the Channel. Uh, requires us to get on with France, yes. and and the and the small boats crossing the Channel is far more damaging to Boris Johnson yeah, than uh, it is than, to Macron. Well, and as and, well. and 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 going to war with France might might be temporarily popular, but it's not going to offset the unpopularity also, it feel, I mean, of failing and, to get a grip of immigration. You, you might say this, um, uh, but you would be slightly off the mark if you were, were surprised at it. I mean, I think it's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it, to go to war with France? You know, to make well, yeah. out that everybody in Britain thinks France is horrible and we hate the French, why we hate the French, and, you know, <laughs> let's rock out that Rowan Atkinson song and all that. You know, we don't hate the French. Well, I don't hate the French, anyway. No. Um, and I don't know anybody else that really does. No. I so so it's, to, it's, play it's to, that kind of, to play to that kind well, of audience is mad, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you know, Boris Johnson should not have done the silly, the, the silly franglais, and he should not, he, you know, he he, he, he tried. You can see sort of see him trying to mm. be polite to the yes. French, talking about our friends right. on the on the continent. But he, you know, he, he can't resist the sort of cheap job. He can't resi- No, he can't. And I mean, he's, he's like that guy that never knows when to say it. Yeah. And he kind of goes into the wrong room and says it. And everybody goes, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> this was not the place to say it. But, yeah. I mean, by the same token, Macron has behaved terribly badly Oh, yeah, well. no, I'm not, so, I'm and, not and defending he's, And he's Macron been moaning on since the, the submarine deal disappeared, you know, faster than you could say, you know, nuclear. Absolutely. No, but I'm just pointing out that, uh, that it is very much in Boris Johnson's interest to, uh, to absolutely humiliate himself uh, at the feet of this uh, ridiculous French president. Um, in order to try and uh, resolve the, the the Channel Crossing yeah. problem, and and there's still fi- the fishing problem is still to be resolved, and, as is Northern Ireland. Well, indeed, all of that. I mean, I know all of that isn't necessarily just France, but I mean, France is very much a part of it. Pretty Patel, I'm told, is off to Italy today to f- see what she can get out of them, well, given that the French don't want to see her. <laughs> Talking to the Italians about about stopping people getting into small boats on French beaches is not really going to help. And I suppose that they have come through Italy at some point, very yeah. possibly. Um, some of them have even arrived on the shores of Italy before they've ended up in Calais. Indeed. So, I mean, I don't know whether they'll maybe tell her that they've done something good to stop them coming, but I don't think they have, because I think the problem for Italy is that the boats that arrive on their shores, like Sicily and that other island, Malpalooza or whatever it's called, I can never remember the name of, yeah. um, is uh, the boats are actually bigger. There's like yeah. 200 people coming on each boat rather than sort of 20. Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, I mean, all the other pro- all the other countries in Europe have uh, have similar problems. Mm. Um, and and uh, I mean, it's true, it is a Europe-wide problem. But I heard yes. another conversation earlier in the week where it was said that the G7 was thinking of getting together to discuss it, which would mean that they'd have to invite the Americans and the Japanese. <laughs> so which you're going, oh, sorry, I mean, what's it going to do with them? <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, actually, the, the Americans do have a similar problem, but it's it's completely unrelated. Yeah, but is, they're not coming on is, boats, though. Which is their, which is their border. Their, but their uh, problem is actually Mexico. worse. Yeah. Um, just before we go on, there's some breaking news. I said we were expecting a, a verdict. There is one. The publisher of the Mail on Sunday has lost a court of appeal challenge against a ruling in favour of the Duchess of Sussex over publication of a personal letter to her estranged father, Thomas Markle. Well, there was some thought that that might be reversed, wasn't there? Yes. Given uh, what had come out in the last sort of uh, court exchange where Meghan Markle admitted that she'd forgotten um, that she'd instructed some people to write a book about all yeah, of this. That was extraordinary. So, I mean, obviously the judiciary is still very much in her thrall. Because they've decided I mean, may, that as they, a point of law, it doesn't make any difference. They may have decided this on the uh, on the merits of the case. Who knows? Well, they may have done. But, I mean, I've never quite gone along with that. Because, first of all, this is a judge who decided on the case before he heard any of the evidence and decided there wasn't any point in having a trial. He, I mean, it's a very novel way of approaching the law, it seems to me. 
Well, I'm afraid I'm not. I'm not up <laughs> up with the, the the ins and outs of no. this, this particular okay. case. I, I work for the Independent, Mike. I mean, we we don't we don't. You uh, don't probably even have a lawyer. We don't you? give uh, no, no <laughs> We don't give <laughs> undue prominence to uh, stories about the. Well, you family. say that, but I mean, the Guardian always does. Particularly, I mean, it used to upset Piers Morgan uh, no end because they'd spend <laughs> ages and ages writing about how terrible it was that they were always going after the uh, the royals, and then they would repeat all of it in a huge spread at the weekend. Well, that is that is all absolutely true. I mean, the Independent does cover royal stories, yeah. but. Uh, I personally don't take much interest in it. No, no, that's fine. Absolutely fine. I will not ask you any more about it. Let's talk instead about Christmas, because it seems to me that people are very confused inside of Downing Street about Christmas. One, uh, they think that it's all right for them to have a Christmas party last year when clearly they shouldn't have had one. Well, that's Um, a bit of a separate issue, isn't it? Well, it's all part of the Christmas roundup that I'm doing. (laughs) Go on, you round up Christmas. Then then we've got Theresa Coffey saying, you know, don't kiss anyone under the mistletoe. I mean, how out of touch does she want to appear to be? I mean, I don't remember anyone kissing anyone under a mistletoe at any office party that I've been at for about the last 20 years. Um, I mean, maybe the independent things are different. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't think I don't think mistletoe has featured at an, in, at an independent Christmas party for, no. for, for some time. I think she was speaking metaphorically, should we say. Well, um, we've also been told that we shouldn't be doing any unnecessary socialising, which I well, presumably includes kissing under the mistletoe. Well, that was the, 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 the confusion uh, yesterday, yeah. was, it, was it the day before? You, I'm, I'm losing track of time now. Uh, when I don't the, blame prime, you. Prime I'm, Minister, I'm losing the will to live. <laughs> the Prime Minister had to sort of try and reverse... Uh, reverse his way out of that one um, because he I mean his message is very much we've we've taken some precautionary measures yes uh, we're waiting to see what happens but in the meantime carry on with uh, yes with, with but, all your but, arrangements. Course, but like everything else that, that doesn't go quite as he planned it to go yeah that's not really happening because I'm hearing every single day from people who are having Christmas parties cancelled. Yeah, absolutely. A, a guy that runs an events company the other day saying that everything that, he's, that he has had booked in for the, for the month has gone. Really? People are just not doing it anymore because they're not sure that they can do it. Yeah. They're not sure that they can get sort of, you know, safety precautions to such an extent that they can still have a party. Well, it's so, also, I mean, the, the, the Times has cancelled its Christmas party, I, mm. I, I, I read. Is uh, that right? The, the independent Christmas party, as far as I know, is still, still going, yes. going ahead. Well, there might so be there some that are going ahead but there's an awful lot that are being cancelled is what i'm saying and an awful lot of people and an awful lot of people who were going to travel for the christmas period are not sure what to do and i'm one of them so that's the reason i'm quite interested in in yeah absolutely well i mean i hate to be sympathetic to the prime minister i mean which will uh, annoy some of your listeners but i mean i do think the government is in is in an impossible position because Mm. uh we are dealing with uncertainty we are dealing with uh, with a new variant and we don't know how bad it is yes but Uh, if you didn't know how bad something was why would you take the precautions that you take in case it's bad wouldn't you wait and see well no because um you want if if it if it might i mean it's it's risk risk versus yeah but the point is they should be be getting better at this instead of worse and it seems to me they've got worse at it. i don't know that they're getting getting worse at it i mean they, they they took limited precautions to try and well, uh, slow down the spread by time uh, to, to, to let the scientists work out how bad this well this thing for, is. for one thing for me the travel precautions they've taken are over and above ridiculous right because they have well, affected the they cost. are inconsistent they you have affected the right. cost for people to a hell of an extent they've also changed the way that it all works and yeah. they've made it impossible for people to come back from holiday um, and particularly around Christmas and New Year when nothing's going to be working. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to get a test done well, in two days? That's not going to work, is it? But also, I suspect that it's all it, 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 it's all too late anyway. I mean, because the, the, well, it was the, too the variant late. has already arrived. Yeah, well, this, it had already in, arrived in the country. day before when yeah. 600 people got off it several was, planes from South Africa. It was too late at the moment. It was at the moment But, I mean, if you look at the actual but, kind of state of things, up in Scotland they've got, I think, 11 or 15 cases, all of which apparently came from the same event. Yeah. So you can look at something like that and say, OK, so it's not... Yes, it will spread. Yeah. You can hear people in South Africa today saying it seems to be spreading quite quickly, but yet nobody really is going to hospital. So when you take yeah. all of that information, surely, and you make a judgment based upon what you know rather than what you don't know. Well, but that's why I think the the, the response has been quite limited. I mean, just it, it's just requiring masks in some in some places and and the travel restrictions. Yeah, but the travel I think restrictions the travel... are, I think, the biggest problem. Yeah, well, I think they're... By far. A, 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 and also the, the, the requirement to isolate if you come into contact with an identified That's... case, which mm. is obviously a rather difficult 
uh, thing. But I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the travel, I think the travel restrictions were uh, were a panic measure, and they were uh, they were too late the moment they were announced. Yeah, exactly right. John Rensel is here. We're going to take a short break. We've got lots of other things to talk about, including other Christmas-related uh, items, perhaps. But also, uh, we've got to talk about where we go uh, over the course of the next few days as well. Keir Starmer uh, was trying to stick it to Boris Johnson yesterday at PMQs. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. If you were listening yesterday, you would have heard us uh, playing out Prime Minister's questions. Boris Johnson got quite a skewering, actually, from Sir Keir Starmer on the whole business of the Christmas party. And you said it's a different and a separate issue. So what do you think is going to happen with the Christmas party story? Because the Mirror, obviously, are running sort of day two on it. They seem to have quite a lot of info on it. I'm amazed it's taken this long for it to come out. Well, that's the extraordinary thing. It's It's taken a whole year. Uh, for it to uh, for it to surface, and of course that that softens the story yeah. uh, to an extent because it's so much harder to to try and establish the facts yes. uh, that long after the uh, after the event. Mm. But I mean, I, I mean, I think, I, and, and this is the reason Keir Starmer used it is because the, the the thing about one rule for them and a different rule for everybody else is absolute poison for this yes. government, and they and they it's they a recurring on, theme, isn't it, it? They keep on running into mm. it in different in different forms. Yeah. Uh, and that you know that's why Matt Hancock had to resign, um, and that's it's the sort of thing that drives people. That's why he had to U-turn on that. So remember, he didn't want to self-isolate on that Sunday morning. Well, and then, exactly, and the fastest U-turn in the history of U-turns. <laughs> that's right. But it's the sort of sort of thing that goes down really badly in focus groups. Mm. Um, well, because you know, people, I mean, you know, in like November it. of last year, I remember it very well. November, we everything was shut. The pubs yeah. were closed. You weren't supposed to be mixing with anybody. It was you know shut down November to save Christmas. Yeah, look how that turned out. Absolutely. And then we didn't save Christmas anyway. Yeah, you know. Um, and so you know, the prime minister tried to tried to respond by uh, stirring the uh, stirring the, uh, the the feud between uh, Keir Starmer and uh, Angela Rayner, his deputy. Yeah. Um, and what do you make but, of that? Is it a feud? Oh, uh, definitely. Is it? I mean, I think uh, full you know, blown. The, the body language at, at prime minister's questions was uh, was, was telling. They yeah. were both. I mean, they were sitting next to each other, but as they might as well have been yeah. in different rooms. I mean, What's was, wrong with the Labour Party? Why do they always have these feuds that always go on in the middle of them? I mean, is this sure. politics? Like, yeah, but I, I mean, isn't it, it? The, the Tories may have them, but they never seem to have them in the, to the same degree, do they? I mean, Blair yeah. and Brown in the end hated each other right? yeah uh, as do apparently clearly Angela Rayner and, and Sir Keir Starmer and Jeremy Corbyn and pretty much everybody else <laughs> you know yeah. they all this is a sort of toxic atmosphere well there's a certain amount of tension between uh, b- between Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak I mean Rishi Sunak clearly yeah but you don't see it job. publicly there isn't there isn't the personal no. animus no uh, and also think. you don't get something like happened on on bizarrely that uh, odd day when there was a reshuffle in the yeah. party uh, when she clearly hadn't been told there was going to be a reshuffle yeah well well Keir Starmer says he did tell her but uh, you know, he then started doing the reshuffle right. while she was speaking in order to you know, prevent her from mm. sticking her oar in. Right. I mean, that was you know that was an that indicator. That was quite of, a weird thing to do, I thought. It was. And no, because I don't think anybody really, one, noticed or cared outside of the Westminster bubble. No, but I mean, the point is that Angela Rayner had, um, had obstructed his previous reshuffle yeah. uh, in, uh, in May. Uh, and uh, he didn't want her to do that again. So uh, he, he deliberately started... Uh, making his calls to shadow ministers while uh, while his deputy was mm. speaking. Yeah, very strange business indeed. And what about uh, Rhys Mogg, um, for the first time yesterday, wearing a mask in PMQ? Indeed. I'm told by Peter Cardwell, I can't uh, uh, suffice this to be true, but apparently wearing Eton colours on the <laughs> mask, which I suppose is his version of putting two fingers up to whoever asked him to I do wouldn't recognise Eton colours as me, I saw Me them, neither. So, and as I didn't actually notice that uh, uh, that, that Rhys Mogg was wearing a mask... Mm. Uh, um, well, it was, think, o- it was only because... We were watching the front bench specifically to see whether more people were wearing masks. But that is a, that is a breakthrough because Rhys Mogg is one of the real holdouts yes. against and uh, presumably uh, maybe he was persuaded because he's got some other things going on currently, which is include the investigation of his rather bizarre six million pound loan. Well, yes, the last bit of uh, I mean, that, that, I wish uh, I had a company that could loan me six million pounds. <laughs> that does seem it, it does seem a rather unconventional transaction. Yeah, that does. Um, I mean, the, this is this is where the rich are different from you and yes. Me. Uh, Mike, because they have these kind of arrangements mm. that uh, that look very odd to to um, yeah. I mean, most of people. us go to work, get paid for that, yeah, and then go home. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you don't right. go. That's okay. I I'll won't... just take a six million yeah. pound loan from my company. I, I tell you what, I because I don't want to pay myself any real money, so I'll just take it as a loan, and then that way I won't pay any tax on it, right? That is, uh, that, I, I I have no idea what the arrangements are, but I mean, this is part of the dry tinder. 
that is still uh, available to be to, to be set fire to yes. uh, by the Labour Party over over MPs' uh, second jobs yeah. uh, and all the sort of standards standards business, which is I think is is going to run and run. Mm. I mean, I think it, again, it does it does the government some damage. Uh, and again, partly because it f- it feeds into this idea that there's the, that there's one rule for them and a different rule. And for I think else. that will have a sort of corrosive effect over time. I mean, yeah. really, I mean, people are already saying to me, "Well, if they do decide to lock down Christmas, you know, I'm not doing that again." Kind yeah. of thing, you know. So if you do have a plan in place yeah. uh, to see your mother or your auntie or whatever, yes. you're just going to go ahead and do it anyway. These are all the sorts of things that start to wear a government down. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Boris Johnson very successfully pulled off the trick of, of pretending his was a new government. Mm. Uh, that started in, in not 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 just July 2019, but actually a new government that, that started after the election in, yeah. in December mm. uh, 2019, uh, two years ago. But and it actually started rather well, if you remember. I mean, d- by the end of January, he'd done what he said he was going to do, even though on, on the very like sort of last hour of, of midnight, yeah, people were still in the Remain camp saying, "No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen." <laughs> yeah, and then it and happened. It, and then it happened, uh, but. Uh, and and you know two years isn't isn't very long in the lifetime of a government, but it's long enough mm. for some of these some of these things to start to to chip away mm. at the government's credibility. And you know the thing about uh, you know your reputation, you know on on those on those kinds of issues, you know standards and 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 being out of touch, is it's very difficult to get it back. Mm. Uh, you know there's a, there's just a sort of natural force of that, that's going to going to drag it dra- drag Boris Johnson down yeah. but at the moment we're in this kind of limbo as I said where uh, I'm told the next sort of proper announcement we, we, we expect is on the 18th I think there's going to be some kind of travel announcement made on the 9th yeah but the 18th is the third week after the Saturday's sort of announcements about the travel and everything else right and I mean I was saying something this morning it could well be that on the 18th of December they say actually we've had a look at this variant it's not yeah. that dangerous so everything's fine by which time all the Christmas parties have been cancelled people have decided not to go on holiday and they'll yeah. all be going well why couldn't you have told us that earlier well, yes, which is which is completely unfair because the reason they didn't get told earlier is because we d- we didn't know and we don't know now. Right, we don't know. But if, they might if, not know then. We, that either. is a, that is that is a scenario which I think you know which which is which is perfectly likely. But it's equally I mean it's equally possible that this 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 variant turns out to be t- turns out to be really nasty. I mean we haven't actually seen any evidence. Well, none of, it of yet. them have been really nasty um, though, have they? I mean basically no? we've had COVID um, in various different forms and all of which has pretty much acted the same way. Yeah, and abs- so absolutely this nonsense about you know all. Or maybe it might be possible that the, 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 this one gets around the vaccine. Yeah. Well, there's no evidence. Well, but, of yeah, that. but I don't want to make the mistake again of predicting what I hope will happen. No, exactly. But equally, <laughs> like I said, they should be better at doing this because well, they, no, they're they, still, they it's can't still, be. Because well, they I mean, can't the, the top line on the news this morning when I woke up was that they've bought another 120 million jab so they can yes. continue boosting people for years yeah but, but that's that's sensible i mean that's what they, that's what we is want it, them to do well is it though is but that the, no people want them to sort out the country they want to sort out the migrant problem they want to sort out the yeah. nhs they want people to be able to not uh, be dying of cancer because they haven't been seen by anybody yeah. they don't want to just hear this constant you know refrain of don't worry get your booster that's all you need to do because then everything will be fine because <laughs> we've heard all that before yeah but i mean you know that's what that's what chris witty says is that you know we've got to get we've got to live with this. Uh, this well, he disease. says that, and but that then... means we will have to have repeat va- vaccines, you know, for the foreseeable maybe forever. Yeah, but um, not but not if they keep making reasons out for there to be uh, possibilities that they don't work. Because on the one hand, they're telling you to get them. Yeah, I mean, like one of the most ridiculous statements I think I ever heard was the one from Boris on the Saturday to say it might be that the, the, the first two vaccines aren't enough or don't work so you better get a third one <laughs> yeah and you go well if the first two <laughs> no, don't that's work not quite what he said well it kind yeah. of was <laughs> yeah kind of was i mean i just think they need to be sharper and better we've been doing this for a long time now you yeah, well yeah what no what you're saying is you just wish the the, the virus would go away and leave us alone no i and, don't no uh, i don't wish that i wish that we would stop looking at the virus as though it's going to kill everybody because it isn't yeah, it's yeah. going to kill some people and it will continue to kill some people but yeah. most of the people that it kills are people that were being killed by it last year it's not killing different people it's killing people generally speaking who are older who are overweight and who have got co-morbidities and revolving well i don't disagree with any of that but i do think you 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 have to be on guard for uh, for for unexpected, I'm constantly unexpected on guard. bad yeah i'm constantly on guard yes and, and you can uh, be because and that's, sh- I think that's all that the, that's all that the prime minister is, is is saying. And I think I think you're right. I think in two weeks' time, um, it will it it will 
just uh, turn out to not have no, been but, no, but I think too, the point, too serious. And suppose, people will then be very cheerful. I think I think people will be delighted that most of their well, not if they've already Christmas taken parties the, have been cancelled. Well, not if they've already and, taken the view that they had to cancel things, because that unfortunately he's created uncertainty, yeah. and that's the last thing. Well, no, he hasn't created uncertainty. The virus has created the uncertainty. Well, no, he has, because he's taken notice of something that happened in South Africa, uh, which at the moment doesn't appear to be very serious. Well, you, you, but he's acting on advice of Chris Whitty and, and well, Patrick Vallance, who are, the, who, are, who are the real government That was his country. first mistake. And uh, that's what they say, and that's what, that's what the public expects, expects him to do. Well, I think the public expects him to do better, but that's another story. We're out of time, unfortunately. John Rental, thank you very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, uh, we're going to talk to uh, our man uh, up in uh, the uh, founder and CEO of Switchcraft, Andrew Long, because Storm Arwen, which hit last weekend um, in some parts of Britain much worse than in others, caused an awful lot of damage in parts of Scotland, parts of the north of England, of course, as well. And the problem is, for an awful lot of people, last night was their sixth night without any power whatsoever. Um, And that, unfortunately, for anyone who suffered from uh, having no power and no hot water in this kind of weather, because it's very cold out there at the moment, uh, you know that it's an absolute nightmare. So the question I've got, and I'm sure it's a very big task that the uh, electric companies have got uh, to sort out and the power companies, but why is it taking them so long? Andrew, uh, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Um, it's a terrible uh, thing to have to be without electricity, without power, without any way of making any food, without any way of washing or anything like that. I can't imagine what these poor people are going through. But why is it taking so long for it to be fixed? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely brutal. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's at the point where it, it's not just an inconvenience. It could be really a matter of life and death or almost you know, that kind of severity in some cases. Uh, and I don't know why it's taking so long. It shouldn't take that long. Uh, these are the sorts of things that you know the, the the government and the regulator is meant to be taken care of in the background, and that you know it's it's uh, that you know there should be plans in place to deal with this sort of thing. Yeah. And you know, warm expressions of sympathy are not really good enough. No, and I mean I keep hearing stories of you know communities pulling together and helping each other and making sure that people aren't suffering too much from you know hypothermia and trying to move people into houses if they can. But um, I was hearing stories yesterday of some families being offered homes kind of three hours away, uh, which obviously they can't do. Some people who can't leave because they've got um, children who have to go to school. There's elderly relatives to worry about. You know, it seems to me that there's not. Like a lot of things in this country, there's not a kind of emergency framework to go to when something like this happens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's, you, can, you can build resilience into the system, and, uh, but it costs money to do that and it takes foresight to do that. And it seems like it hasn't happened. And this, of course, this comes on the back of the, the situation in the, the retail energy market this winter, where the whole design and structure of the market has, has really fallen apart. Half of the energy suppliers in the country have gone bust, roughly in the last few weeks right. and 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 the competitive market there is not working so the energy sector is 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 uh, is really in bad shape mm. and uh, and we need a new regulatory framework yes i mean it's kind of ironic if you're paying top dollar for your electricity and your power and there isn't any exactly i mean not only not only have your bills gone up uh, hugely in the last few weeks but actually the 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 prices are are being held down and will eventually be added on to all of our tax bills yeah. so so there's more to come in terms of the the, the pain which which we're not seeing yet and which we'll see in the next couple of years in general taxation. Yeah. And what is the kind of um, protocol when something like this happens? Is it left to the power companies individually to work on the repairs? Is it left to uh, local councils to sort out people's accommodation problems? I mean, is there a kind of, I suppose my question is, overarching emergency services network? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the system is broken up. So there, although there are some companies uh, like the legacy energy giants like British Gas who, 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 who take part in different parts of the value chain, so they have power stations and then they also retail energy. But for the most part, there's a, there's a kind of web of companies all doing different bits and pieces, some doing generation, some doing infrastructure like transmission, and some doing uh, retail and, uh, and dealing with, uh, with customers. Mm. So although most people will, it's, it's a deeply unsatisfactory situation because most people will understandably, you know, the power goes off, they call their energy supplier. They're actually just a retailer who's buying power on the wholesale markets. They don't run the infrastructure themselves. And so they can't really do much apart from say, well, you know, I hope that there'll be someone around to fix it. Yes. Know, it's, it's, not, it's not particularly reassuring. 
No, of course. And one of the other difficulties for a lot of people, of course, is that nobody, or many people now, no longer have what would be regarded as the old landline phone number. So that uh, they, they, because they've got no electricity, they've got no phone either, because the old landline phone number could be plugged into the phone network, which meant it still worked. But they, so they can't talk to anybody. There's no Wi-Fi. There's probably no um, mobile signal either. Or if there is, they can't charge their phone because we've become so reliant upon the internet. I'm told a lot of messages have been going out on emails to people, but of course they can't see them. Yeah, sure. And actually, if they if if uh, if there's no one uh, if there's no one at the end of the line to, to pick up the phone and, and reassure people and, and give people accurate information on, on when their supply is going to be restored, mm. then you know there's not that much point in communicating either. Yes. I mean, really, what people need is is uh, uh, is is you know engineers on the ground plugging in the power lines and getting it sorted. Mm. I mean, is it, in your view, a problem with the way the power is supplied? I mean, obviously, we know in many rural areas the power is on overhead wires, which presumably can be blown over uh, or trees can fall on them, that kind of thing. And we saw um, that happening with the rail network, didn't we, during COP26, where the trains were all stopped from going to Glasgow because a tree fell on one of the overhead power lines. So, I mean, is there a problem with the way that our power is, is kind of distributed, if you like? Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, if you've got underground cables, they are more resilient to a tree falling over than than uh, an overhead power line, yeah. and that's something which you can which you can either invest in or not. Mm. But um, so so it's that 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 it, but that that obviously takes uh, takes years to to manage, and it needs to be planned ahead. And it hasn't really happened. No. But again, that's something that we say quite a lot in this country, isn't it? This is something that should have been planned ahead a while ago, but nobody ever really did anything about it. Yeah, sure, and it's obviously easy to say with hindsight. You know, now we've had a, had a big storm, but equally, I don't think it was it was particularly uh, difficult to predict that at some point there would be a severe storm. I mean, uh, climate change is heavily on the agenda, and although one storm doesn't indicate climate change by itself, you know, equally, it doesn't take a genius to predict that there's going to be a, a storm coming mm. at some point. Yes, and it might be good, um, as I always say, to to kind of learn something from what happened this time to make it more resilient for the next time. And I appreciate that might take a lot of money, might take a lot of time. But there's been an awful lot of money taken out of the of the energy business by shareholders and by individual sort of investors. And, you know, maybe it's time to look at doing it a different way. Uh, sure. I mean, I think I think uh, I, I strongly agree with you that it's time to look at doing things a different way. But uh, I don't think that nationalizing a few people have been called for the whole system to, to be nationalized. Yeah. And I don't think that delivers a good outcome. In, uh, and and not, neither do I think the price cap is good news uh, in, in the long term. All of these things are sticking plasters that will that will you know give give an uh, artificial boost in the short term. They might lower uh, bills in the short term. Yeah. But what we need is a properly functioning competitive market with challenges nipping at the heels of the big boys, keeping them honest. And then whether you're with a big supplier or a small supplier doesn't really matter in that environment. I, but but the, you know, the competition is the mechanism to keep people honest, keep people hungry, and keep them delivering mm. great outcomes for customers because yeah. they know that if they don't, they're going to lose those customers. Um, so, so that for me is the way to uh, is the way to to solve the retail right. market. Of course, that infrastructure and transmission, distribution, or whatever does, of course, need to be a bit more centralised. I was going to say because it will be a bit like network rail, presumably, where the actual sort of infrastructure is managed by a big company, one of the big power companies, or maybe by the big four or something. And so, moving that around and changing the way that delivers the actual power uh, is quite a big problem. Yeah, sure. And I think the key to the key to a, to a, a longer term sustainable solution is the right uh, input from the private sector, but really crucially, uh, the right incentive structure around that. So if you say, you know, here's your, you know, bid for this contract, you can you can run the, the 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 power network in this part of the country, and then you can all relax and go home and pay the pay the senior management and your shareholders. Uh, you know, large amounts of money. That is obviously nonsense. There needs to be, in so far as possible, there needs to be performance-related pay for these companies, uh, not on the level of the, the the kind of contracts that they're awarded. So they need to be incentivized to do a great job, and they need to be punished financially when something like this happens. Mm. And if the right incentives are in place, the private sector can take up the you know take up that challenge and deliver. But if you've just got a contract which pays them, pays them, pays them, pays them, no matter what, then obviously they're not going to invest. No, quite. And what is the compensation situation? I'm told that some people have been offered compensation already. Does it depend on which company you happen to be with or is there a statutory limit to what you can be offered? Yeah, I don't know. I actually don't know the law. I've seen I've seen what you've seen, I guess, in the press, which is that the, the standard number is 70 pounds uh, for the first 24 hours 
or 48 hours if the weather's bad, not that your power is likely to be affected if it isn't, and then another £70 per 12 hours of disruption, I mean, and then a maximum of £700. I mean, fine, look, I'd rather have £700 than not, clearly, but it doesn't come close to... Mm. to uh, I mean, it, it not only does it not compensate for the lack of hassle, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if many families were down far more than that in terms of emergency hotel accommodation, uh, travel costs, disruption to their working life and so on. So it doesn't quite touch the sides. No, exactly right. Well, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Andrew Long, founder and CEO there of Switchcraft, talking about a terrible situation up in the north uh, of England. If you're living up there uh, or if you're in Scotland where it's also bad, I'm told, in the Peak District where it's also bad, do let us know uh, what's going on. We'll try and see what we can do uh, to rouse somebody from their torpor to try and get something sorted out. 0344 is the number. Jason Dudley's not very happy. Uh, he's texted and he says, I suppose the power cut story is Boris's fault as well. Poor show today so far, Mike. Hope it improves. Hope it improves. I mean, it's very hard to improve this show. Um, but I'll tell you what, I have not blamed Boris Johnson for the power cut, right? I have not blamed Boris Johnson for the storm. But what I have blamed him for uh, is his inability uh, to be able to get on with things properly. His inability to understand why people are annoyed with what he's done when it comes to the way he's changed the rules on COVID, COVID right now because of this variant, which doesn't at, the, at this moment in time appears to be very dangerous. Um, and also um, for having to give the impression by having a party when nobody else was allowed to, that he doesn't care about the rules. Simple. Those are the facts, Jace. I'm sorry if you don't like them, but those are the facts. And I'm not, I'm not one of those. You should know better than to accuse me of blaming Boris Johnson for everything. I don't do that. I say well done to him when he does something well. But, you know, I'm searching around for something at the moment. Maybe you can help me, Jace. Uh, this is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The problem that we have and the problem that we continue to have, right, is that there is still a fair amount of uncertainty about what is going on. Uh, there's now word from the World Health Organization that they're still fairly certain that this new uh, Omicron uh, vaccine, uh, sorry, um, variant is not actually all that dangerous. That seems to still be uh, the word that's coming from the World Health Organization and from South Africa. There was, a, I heard a, a, a medic this morning talking about how it seems to be spreading quite quickly, but as of yet, it's still not causing an awful lot of harm. Um, but of course, front page of the Daily Mail today, uh, more confusion. Uh, because Sajid Javid has said if you're going to go to a Christmas party, you must take a test before you go to make sure you're OK. But meanwhile, Theresa Coffey has said, please, no kissing under the mistletoe. I'm not quite sure which Christmas party she's been going to, but I haven't seen the mistletoe for many a year. And it's not just me. Don't be Christmas killjoys, says the headline. Well, the trouble is people are already cancelling Christmas parties. They're already not having them. Let's talk to Dave Chawner, who's a comedian, because he's a guy that knows a thing or two about some of the events businesses that are going on at this time of the year. But also, uh, he's probably been to one or two Christmas parties uh, in his time. Dave, a very good morning to you. That's, that's the nicest introduction you've ever given me, Mike. I, I know. I don't know what came over me. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say something along the lines of Dave Chawn has never been invited to a Christmas party. Let's get it on. <laughs> well, I was going to leave you to, to feed that one through, you see, because I thought mm. if you haven't ever been, uh, you can say that. But I'm sure that you've probably entertained one or two Christmas parties, haven't you? It, it, it very much is getting into Christmas party season. I always find actually like the end of November, middle of December, the, the biggest party like time. And actually people are getting nervous. It's really interesting. I did a gig only last night. Half the audience were wearing masks. The right. other half trying to get those people to take the masks off. Right. I, you feel like we are divided. I think that's definitely what's happened. I mean, ever since that uh, press conference last Saturday by the Prime Minister in Downing Street, the whole country, if it wasn't divided enough already, has now literally been split down the middle, you know, because if you go on, uh, on the underground now, you'll see that it's, again, it's not much different from what it was before. There's a bit more enforcement going on, but it depends on what time of the day you travel. Some people are still not wearing masks and not bothering about it. Other people are wearing them. You know, it's a very confusing picture. And, and as I say, a lot of Christmas parties is now being cancelled because people don't know what to do. Yeah, exactly. I feel like we're back to square one because I know like Boris always says that he, you know, wants to channel Churchill, but he's more like the insurance dog than the ex-prime <laughs> minister at the moment. I mean, it, he's not in a rush to give any guidance because let's face it, he's not going to stick to it himself, even if he does come up with it. But I think we're about two weeks away from 
guidance being given on whether Santa has to wear a face mask, whether the elves have to use hand gel and whether Rudolph has to self-isolate because of that red Mm. nose. And at the end of the day, you would think that Boris could empathise with the plight of Santa because he too is a fat, jolly guy who a lot of grown-ups don't believe in. (laughs) Yes, well, that's not bad. However, what I would say to you is this. I don't think he's so much like Churchill the dog, which is now rather a well-worn epithet. I think he's more like the Churchill Hotel, which used to be around the back of Oxford Street, uh, full of very, very wealthy people from the Middle East and somewhere that he didn't really want to go very often for fear of what went on inside it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah exactly i think that's quite a nice idea and also i want to point out while we're talking about wealthy donors i think that uh, boris is well overdue a big fat uh, season pass to pepper pig world this year well listen um he's obviously got plenty of people that he could take to that place if he wished to but i don't want to turn this into an attack on boris johnson but i do want to ask the question where does Theresa Coffee go for her Christmas party? Because she's apparently under the impression uh, that you can still kiss people under the mistletoe, which I'm pretty sure uh, was pretty much outlawed as an activity even before we all went woke. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very me too. And I think if anyone has b- mistletoe, it's going to be banned as a biohazard. I mean, I think, to be honest, this year... I mean, unless, you're e- unless you're eating it as a sort of plant-based substitute for something. Yeah, exactly. I think after the year that we've all had, I think we just need a reason to celebrate. I mean, all I want for Christmas this year is my electricity and gas bills to get cheaper. That well, I'd be. I, sorry, I'm sorry that I'm saying that you can't have that one. Uh, well, I, to be honest, Mike, if I get a lump of coal in my stocking, I would be well happy because do you know how much coal costs now? I think that is going to be black gold. Well, you'll have to get it shipped in from China by the sounds of it. I don't think we're allowed to dig any of it <laughs> out of the ground anymore. But I mean, it is mad, isn't it, that we're left with this kind of um, hollowness. I just feel hollow at the moment because I'm trying to get away to America, boring everybody senseless with this story about how I'm trying to take my kids to see my mother and my my sister and my daughter's going to come and all of that. And it's all kind of, I don't know what to do now because if I cancel it um, on the basis that it's probably not going to go ahead and then come the 18th, everything goes, oh yeah, everything's fine. You can just do what you want. You know, that's all right. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. This government has done the national equivalent of put up a massive sign saying wet paint don't touch because you know whenever you see that sign you always want to touch it and and that's essentially what they've done they've gone around saying don't panic don't panic and i think a lot of people are kind of thinking well if there's no need to panic don't tell us not to panic and i think this year has been more disappointing than one of my edinburgh shows and it's gonna whimper out that bad (laughs) we actually we've got (laughs) We've got another, what, 30 days to go? I can only see this getting worse, unfortunately. Because it feels, that's what it feels like. I mean, even though everything, that it's like looking into a telescope, you know, except it's around the wrong way. You know, everything that you're seeing is there. You're pretty sure that it's there, but somehow it just doesn't look right. And the same thing for me, where I'm, I'm looking out into the streets, I'm seeing nothing to alarm me. I'm not seeing any sort of, you know, increase in numbers of people going to hospital people getting sick, people getting ill, people dying. No, but instead there's this kind of sense of foreboding that something else is going to happen. There's a sense of hysteria. I I think that's actually a very good point because you know what, like I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying, you know, they were absolutely petrified. And I was like, what are you petrified about? Like genuinely. And they were like, well, it just doesn't feel good and there's is a sense in the air rather than anything that you can point at Mm. and for the economy for jobs for hospitality for people's well-being it ain't a good mixture no it really isn't so so as far as christmas parties are concerned have you got any planned or have you had any cancelled what's going on i mean lots of people have tried to cancel me coming to their christmas party (laughs) I, to be honest, Mike, I, I actually want an excuse to not go to a couple of Christmas parties, yes. you know, it's that that's the, the big one. But uh, I, I found it really funny the other day when there was a reporter who I know at the press briefings talking about whether people can go and see school nativities. And I know for a fact that he doesn't have kids. So that was a big question mark. That is, yeah, that's a bit worrying, isn't it? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, apparently if you're a parent now of a young child, you will get a video made of the nativity play uh, and then get it sent to you so you can watch it uh, in the comfort of your own home as if it was all done on Zoom. So you don't have to actually go anywhere to see it. 
Now, you see, that's ironic because I remember only four or five years ago, people being banned from taking cameras to nativity plays because yes. they were about who would see the kids. They were worried that got... you might post them in some dodgy website. And I kept yeah. saying to them, no, these are pictures of my own children, pictures of other people's children. You know, I'm a parent. I'm not likely to do that, actually. I, I feel like we've gone full circle in, in so many things right now. And I think everyone's just taking things day by day, mm. which sounds fun if you're on an 1830s holiday. But if you've got kids, if you've got family, if you've got plans, you can't live like that and actually what i would love to see is strong guidance strong a, a roadmap to be like this is what we're going to do this year because you know what after the ghost of last year i don't think anyone yeah. has any confidence well i'm going to be doing the- a, a, an edition of the political punch-up this afternoon which you've been on before um and the question is should we just cancel it now not because i want it to be cancelled but just because i'd rather know i don't want to go all the way up to the 18th and then be told yeah we can't have it again, or we're going to cancel it again. Couldn't agree more. I think that was that was so much worse for people of actually, you know, dangling that carrot and then whipping it away mm. at the last minute. And I, I do kind of think to a certain degree that, you know, I actually think, I don't know about you, I actually made the most of last Christmas. I had a lovely time, even though I was on my own. I, I had a corker. It was great. And I, I could do that again. But I think it's the it, it's being sowed the seeds of something that's never going to come to fruition. I think that's what makes people annoyed. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Well, Dave, I hope it goes well for you. Thanks very much indeed for taking the time to talk to us. Dave Chorn, a comedian there, uh, with his take on the Christmas conundrum, which is what we're all facing now. Nobody knows what to do, right? Now, you might not bother. Uh, about that you might say well actually i don't really care about christmas i'm not really i'm not really that involved with it i don't really have that many people in my family we don't really need to have a big christmas dinner it's not just about that it's about the kind of anxiety levels that people have to worry about when they don't know what is actually happening when they don't know what is going on and some people who are shall we say on the more of the side of lockdowns will say why are you getting so worked up it's not too big of a deal to ask you not to have christmas with your family well it is for a lot of people actually and it is a big deal to stop people from traveling it is a big deal to stop people from being reunited with their friends uh, and loved ones when they haven't seen them for such a long time And it is time, I'm afraid, and I don't make any apology for this uh, by saying that Boris Johnson could fix it. If indeed it turns out, as we keep seeing and we keep hearing, that this uh, particular variant is not particularly troublesome, then surely we need to make that statement. We need to make it sooner rather than later, before more people lose more money, more uh, venues get uh, their deals cancelled, more parties get cancelled and more travelling plans get scuppered, because that's not going to be good for anyone. I tell you that now. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, if only you had a crystal ball, right? You'd be able to look into it every single day and figure out what's going to happen next. The one thing you might be able to predict, however, without a crystal ball, uh, is that you'll hear from Meghan Markle at least every 48 hours, just to be on the safe side in case she's missing anything. Let's talk to Angela Levin, royal biographer, of course, uh, on the news that basically she's won yet again uh, in the legal system here in the UK, and she's claiming a great victory against the evil tabloids. Angela, very good afternoon to you. Hello. Hello. So, so, I mean, would it, it, would it be right to say that the legal apparatus in this country is still very much on her side? No, I think actually what it is, is I'm very disappointed in the appeal court judges because they have put the number of words that you use from a letter or could be a book mm. is more important than actually telling untruths uh, about... Uh, what's happened, or a sort of lack of memory about it. Yes. I mean, it would have been a very serious accusation, and I would have thought that um, the memory of talking to a royal aide over several months would have actually stayed in a mind as sharp and bright as Meghan's. Now, I looked it up, and as you just mentioned at the beginning, it, a small part of a letter is okay to use. Right. Um, the mail on Sunday used 585 words out of 1,250, and that's too much. Mm. 
So Megan, if they'd have said you three hundred words, she'd have lost the case. I see. But as that, and it's gone down to the number of words. Indeed, it is a precedent because I know when I've tried to use things in books and features that you can only—it's never been actually itemised how many words you are allowed to use out of the whole. Right. So, um, in fact, she will have made her mark in the legal world by actually. Um, setting up a precedent. Yes. But actually, I think that, that the moral side of it is more important than actually counting words. Yes. So effectively, it's a sort of legal distinction, isn't it, between the amount uh, of somebody's copyrighted material you can use, a bit like the way we have in this business the ability to play a snapshot of a, of a recording of something, but you can't play the whole thing, otherwise you know, you have to pay a bucket load of money to somebody. But this is the thing that, that of course, she will not be explaining, because what the, if you read what, what she said since this statement's been handed down, she says this... While this win is precedent-setting, what matters most is that we are now collectively brave enough to reshape a tabloid industry that conditions people to be cruel and profits from the lies and pain that they create. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, there's nothing... You don't read too many of those words either. <laughs> well, there's nothing in um, what the Mail on Sunday printed that was a lie. Um, there was no pain that they created, given that she had written the letter to her father. So she's yeah. very good at jumping on the old bandwagon and going... This is me sort of fighting single-handedly like the Joan of Arc against the dreaded, ghastly, evil press. Yes, well, Joan of Arc is one of the many um, types of people she likes to be. I mean, she wants to reshape the tabloid industry. She doesn't think small. The fact that it's a few words will make a huge difference doesn't interest her. Um, and she's got this sort of um, I'm a martyr mm. type approach on that today. Um, Megan Martyr. I find it absolutely extraordinary. This is a victory not just for me, but for anyone who's ever felt scared to stand up for what is right. Yes. I mean, please. I hope that perhaps they might consider going to the Supreme Court. I don't know it's going to cost millions more. But if you think that they've spent millions on this and it comes down to the number of words, it's just so disappointing, isn't it? I think that's um, the problem, isn't it? Because if it is a matter of legality... They're not going to win on that front because the lead, the law is the law. And as far as the, the High Court is concerned, then the Appeal Court and then even the Supreme Court, they'll just look at it in exactly the same way and say, well, this is not an issue of uh, whether you breached anybody's privacy. It's an issue of you overusing the number of words. Yes, that's why it's so tragic, actually, I think. Mm. Um, we don't know what this country's coming to, really. I think there has to be an element of actually understanding what the aim was and um, not just a number of words. Yeah. And do you think this will have a sort of chilling effect, though, on some of the tabloids and what they write about them? Well, I mean, I would think, why doesn't everybody stop writing or talking about her at all, um, along with Harry? Mm. And then, um, you know, we're all safe. But that's not how it's going to be, is it? No. And actually... She's got a huge press department, which, as you said earlier, presses out information about her. Each time it's more astonishing than the next. I have to hand it to them for that. Um, that, that uh, you know, people do um, take it up. And I think she managed also to get a snipey thing at the Queen, at, at the royal family, where she says they're, they're constantly berating Harry and they're sort of implying that she'd saved him. Right. Um, Harry was a much-loved member of the royal family, actually, and it was only once he got married that things began to be different because he broke rules which he knew were very important of being part of the royal family, like earning money uh, from consumer goods uh, while you're using your royal title. I mean, we have to say that a lot of their success, financial success, is due to the fact that he is a prince. Yes. But that's not taken into consideration. Uh, if they hate the royal family so much, why don't they just leave them alone and get on with what they want to do? But they're tearing at it. And Meghan likes to win 100%. She's not, it seems to me... That's just my opinion, if I'm still allowed to have one in this country, that she... Um, <laughs> you, certainly, you can certainly have one in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, that's absolutely sure. That she she doesn't want to compromise. 
she didn't want to compromise when she joined the royal family and I don't think she wants to compromise now no i think that's absolutely right and they do have this unerring ability for just kind of zeroing in on things don't they and then they start to kind of you know whittle their way around inside it i mean we saw yes just yesterday spotify saying you know we're a bit concerned we haven't seen any content from you despite this deal that we've done uh, to give you lots of money to do a podcast for us and you know they seem to kind of target one thing after another and then they move on and then they kind of the next thing but if you want know. to rule the world who wants to rule the world mm. i mean that's a reason but actually that's very interesting because somebody told me and i can't say who it was that they paid them a third of the 80 million up front mm. so that's quite a few million and for that they got the really the most boring half hour of travel by very rich people yes uh, it was very difficult for them to you know have a plane or go anywhere um at, at the beginning of the lockdown um the uh, spotify i'm told as well are also very cross that they megan is doing lots of interviews with other people um as harry is speaking out on all sorts of subjects but um totally ignoring them right. and having quite a problem to know what to do i hope when they look at the contract they can see exactly what they were told would happen and mm. then can operate from there but it's just quite interesting and i will put my neck out again and say this is a symptom i think of lack of loyalty they haven't been loyal to the royal family um, megan hasn't been loyal to her own family however ghastly they are she's not sort of tried to be loyal and she's not loyal to um spotify either um you can't compare the two but it's an indication that it's um, she's got a very, very firm path ahead of her and nothing's going to stop her. So she's, um, you know, we all need to keep quite clear. Well, I think we one. were talking the other day about how her move into the sort of Ellen DeGeneres world from Oprah Winfrey was very much a kind of a, um, a tactical retreat, if you like, because it meant that she was no longer being out there as a kind of political figure. She was going to try and be sort of cutesy and folksy and, you know, do a little prank here and there and walk around on the street and, and talk to an awful lot of people. A you know baby. what I mean? It's it's so kind of contrived. A drink from a baby's bottle. Yes. Well, um, that was quite sick-making, really. It was. Um, but now she enjoyed it so much that she wants to have um, a show of her own now. Oh, yeah. Where she interviews people. So she, they don't sort of seem to be able to do one thing, study it, do it really well. I mean, it's all flitting from one, like a butterfly, from one subject to another subject. But it's always going to conquer. It's always going to, to win. Um, it, it, it must be uh, quite a headache, actually, to have that as your aim nonstop. It's, it must be quite distracting, really, because we're told that they're not coming back. Certainly, Harry's not coming back either for Christmas, it would appear. So uh, Christmas will come and go. Another Annas Horribilis, you might say, for the Queen, um, who's still not particularly back to full full form. Uh, a friend of mine got an MBE the other day, and he got it from Princess Anne in Windsor. Uh, and he was saying, what a, an incredible place to visit, what an amazing place to be in. You know, the paintings, the history the way that the royal family deals with the numbers of people that they have to see and the way that they talk to them all and how the Queen has been doing that for so long. But, you know, they're literally down to... And Charles was away in Barbados, I think. They're down to Princess Anne and, and William and Kate were doing something else. There's literally... You know, they've got a shortage of royals, basically. We do shortages a day every day. They've got a shortage of royal family people. Yes, there's only certain people who can actually give out these gongs, actually. There's not very many of no. them. I think that Princess Anne deserves that because she's very hardworking indeed. She just doesn't draw um, the press to all her engagements, right. but she really cares about the country and does a lot of very good work. And she's very close to her mother as well. So um, <clears throat> I think that, you know, that's, that's not necessarily one of the most important issues really but what is is that they never there, there's no gratitude there there's no gratefulness um I, I just find it deeply depressing yes well there's a lot to be depressed about at the moment so i guess this just kind of feeds into the uh, the fervor of it all doesn't it and uh, what news do you think is coming out of the uh, prince andrew office given that the ghislaine maxwell case has now started yes well it's shocking to hear isn't it yeah. i mean it you feel quite sick when these um, two, three women 
uh, go in and say that um, they, you know they were innocent and and how badly they were abused. Mm. I mean, one from yet yeah, late yesterday said that um, she was very thrilled to be that think that she was going to work for Maxwell, yeah. but in fact she's a total manipulator, um, and I, I think. They're damaged for life, aren't they? Because if you are abused like that when you're young and naive, yeah. and often they were people who came from bad homes or single parents, that you are vulnerable anyway. And to take advantage of that is just terrible. Um, and I think Prince William, Prince, sorry, Prince Andrew is tarnished by that, mm. whether or not he's guilty or, or, or not, yeah. we don't know. But it's a dark cloud that hangs over him for being friendly with these people. And it wasn't actually totally hidden of what they were doing no. um, on the side. No, it seems very ill-judged indeed. Angela, thanks very much indeed. Angela Levin there uh, uh, reporting into us. Our favourite royal biographer talking about uh, Meghan and Harry winning against Associated Newspapers, against what many of us thought might happen. Uh, she seems to have been able to hold up her end of the bargain. And because of the fact that they basically used too many words from the letter, that's why she's won. Not because it was an invasion of privacy, despite the fact that she'd already given out the letter to several people, shown it to several people and basically said, you know, um, I expect this to be leaked. So let's make sure that if it is leaked, we leaked it's leaked in the right way. So they haven't won uh, on any basis that there was no um, uh, right for the paper to actually print the letter. There was a right for the paper to print the letter, but they just printed too much of it which seems to be what the problem is. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.